I, I think I saw Stuart running around the neighborhood shir- yeah. <laughs> shirtless and barefoot today. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> saw some we talk. <laughs> Welcome back to the Curbsiders, the internal medicine podcast that uses expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge. I'm Dr. Matthew Watto, here with co-host Dr. Stuart Brigham and Dr. Paul Williams. What's up, guys? Dr. Watto, how are you? Hey, Dr. Watto. It's good to see you back after a few other episodes that I missed. So yeah, sorry. Stuart, uh, conspicuously mm-hmm. absent from several recordings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had this thing called A Child That Was Born. Okay, that's semi-valid if you care about kids. Um, I absolutely do. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. Did that sound reassuring? Yeah. Okay. Good. Absolutely. Paul, anything going on with your cats? I don't no, want you to feel left no, out. I still don't care about children. So <laughs> pretty much status quo on this end, Dr. Wano. How, how many cats do you have? <laughs> Three. We've actually covered this in prior podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm, mm. Was it the sleep podcast? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so on this episode, our guest is Dr. Youssef El Yemen. Dr. El Yemen is a physician and entrepreneur. He is board certified in internal medicine and certified in functional medicine. He does speaking nationally for the Institute of Functional Medicine, and he has a talk on healing with food, which he gives across the country and also locally at his practice. We were interested in this, uh, specifically learning about elimination diets and the whole concept of healing with food. Uh, Right, Stuart? Yeah, because everyone has to eat. Right. (laughs) Uh, So we get into the logistics of implementing this uh, and also just the various uh, different flavors of elimination diets that are out there and kind of the functional medicine principles that underlie this. I think it's a very interesting episode. Uh, It does. There are some random tangents in there, but I think they are entertaining. So I hope you will enjoy. (laughs) It's a very tasty episode. (laughs) A food pun. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> let's just let's just go to the interview. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to the Curbsiders. This is Dr. Matthew Watto here with Stuart Brigham. Hello. And Paul Williams. Hi there. And tonight we are talking with Dr. El Yemen, a functional medicine doctor who you might remember from prior podcasts, and he is back by popular demand. To talk to us about the topic of healing with food, elimination mm. diets, and probably all sorts of other cool stuff that uh, I've never heard about before. Hi, Doctor El Yemen. Hey, how's it going? It's it's going great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are we are very excited to have you back on the show, uh, and and thank you for coming on. So uh, before we start, I just want to have a just a a brief moment of silence. I don't, I don't know if you you read the news. Today, but the uh, first face transplant patient, Isabel DeNoyer, she actually died today at the age of 49. Or not today, but April of this year. April of this year. April of this year, yeah. So they held off uh, releasing this information in order to, in, in respect to the family who wanted to grieve uh, her, her passing um, privately. So was it from complications from the transplant? I, I think it was. So she, uh, there was some complication last, uh, I think it was December or November of last year where, where she actually had rejected a part of the face and they had to give her super massive doses of the rejection medications, which actually sounds like it, it caused a couple of cancers. 
Um, and then these cancers may have, it, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't found any specifics, but may have metastasized or, or caused some type of complication, which ultimately may, may have led to um, her untimely death. So first face plant, transplant patient, Isabel DeNoyer, at the age of 49. Ouch. All right. Okay, Dr. Elyamin, bring us back from that one. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you after depressing us all with that information. That's, that's, that's my job. So. Well, what we, what we wanted to know tonight, basically, we want to talk about, we want to, we want to learn about elimination diets and, and healing with food because I know this is an area that you kind of specialize in and something that I know very little about. And how can you maybe start off like, what are you reading to learn about all this? And how did you kind of get to be so knowledgeable about this specific topic? Well, as a functional medicine practitioner, our, one of the, the big, one of the big uh, theories or premise that we go by is that healing starts in the gut. And that, that, has, been, that has been consistent throughout the healing arts before even our Western healing arts. And um, another principle is that it's not just genes, it's genes and environment. And being genes and environment, what is your environment? It's what you eat, what you drink, your relationships, your beliefs, uh, stress management, so exercise, sleep. So, so one of those ma- the major environmental changes that can change the way that your genes are expressed is diet. So being a functional medicine provider, we are almost every lecture we went to, almost every conference we went to, there is going to be mention of diet. So having, having like-minded physicians and belonging to this group has really helped me learn this information. But I'll tell you where, it, where I really got started. The, the, the Institute for Functional Medicine did have a module – a, it was actually a live weekend course on, I can't remember what the title, I think it was called Functional Nutrition. And that really got me, that really opened up my eyes to to the possibilities. And I think it just kind of went from there. Now, I believe there is, there they do have a, a online course, but it's uh, it's one of those interactive courses. It's not like a live lecture type deal. Okay, like a correspondence uh, correspondence type thing, you... You answer tests and send in res- Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Are you are you still doing I, I think last time we had talked that you were in the pro- in the works of maybe writing a book on this topic. Is that still is that out there yet or is that or is that still in the works? The book is still in the works. It's it's about the it's basically about functional medicine. It's called the title is Ignite Your Healing Power, How to Reverse Disease and Feel Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And diet is gonna be a, a part of the book, but there, there's, there is a lot more to it than that. And you kind of gave us just like a little um, recap of what of what exactly functional medicine is. So when you're when you see your functional medicine patients, at what point do you start teaching them about diet, and and how do you accomplish that in a in an office visit? Because m- many of our listeners probably have anywhere from fifteen to thirty minutes per patient. Maybe if they're lucky, they have longer than that. <laughs> for a new patient? Yeah, so usually diet is going to be the first thing that you mention. I, I don't know if you guys know of Dr. Perlmutter. He is um, a functional medicine neurologist. He's 
the author of Grain Brain and and Brain Maker, and uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but I remember early on I went to a course of his where he mentioned that that he he learned he said I learned more about medicine from my veterinarian than I did actually going to med school and residency. He goes because when my dog was sick. And I took him. I took him into the veterinarian. The first thing the veterinarian asked was, "What is he eating?" And he's thinking, "How often do we have patients that come in sick, and we don't even ask the question?" Mm-hmm. So, I, that, that was the first part. The second, the, the second. I, I don't even know why I went on that tangent, but thank <laughs> God you guys can cut things out and oh, yeah. have fun with that. <laughs> no, no, Please okay. make me sound good. Oh but, no, we're going to leave it but, all in. So, but from on, on the the. The question was, like, how do you do it in that short amount of time? So usually the first visit is when I'm going to be talking to them about diet. And as you'll see as we go further into this, it doesn't have to be that complicated in the beginning. There, We give them handouts. We give them homework. And in my practice, I have nutrition specialists that I can have them follow up with in order to in- encourage the diet. We also do group visits. And I actually give a talk called Functional Nutrition Healing with Food in which I, I'll get a group of, of patients together and we go over the principles of healing with food. And that's, you have that built into your, into your week or is that a monthly thing that you do? It's, it's actually a lecture that I give to kind of – it's kind of like a, 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 a kickstart for them. Okay. And I, was yeah. I also have I also have something that I call detox with Dr. E, where I can talk about a detox later. Uh, we we go over what we call a, a a functional detox, but we all do it together. So we'll all meet together. We'll go over what the principles of the diet that we're going on are, and then we'll meet weekly for four weeks, and we'll share ideas and whatnot. And I, I think the fact that I partake in it makes it more powerful for them to where every so often they're asking me, Hey, when are we going to do another detox? <laughs> so you, you actually do the detox yourself as well. I do. Oh man. Paul, did you have a question before I uh, ask my next one? I did just in terms of logistics. You, so the way you asked the question I thought was interesting. Do you have quote functional medicine patients or do you just use functional medicine with the treatment of all your patients? If that question makes sense. I use functional medicine with the treatment of all my patients. I I think people seek out my practice because they're looking for functional medicine. But I think some people just show up because we're on their insurance plan. Right. So you see the patients, you start them, you start educating them. And Mm -hmm. let's get into what are, what are some of the basics of this, of this diet? If, If we wanted to implement this in some of our patients, what are some of the basics for us to, to be able to teach this? Or if our patients ask us, Hey, I heard about this elimination diet or this functional medicine diet. What do you think about it? Just so okay. our listeners well, can be familiar. So, from a just from a functional medicine approach, there are four steps to healing with food. The first step is ensuring that they're eating a nutritionally dense diet. The second step is you want to remove bothersome foods. The third step is you try to replace deficiencies. And the fourth is to rebalance the system. And as you remember from the last podcast, there's seven underlying imbalances that that can lead to all disease. So all disease is going to come from one of those seven. 
just encircled around your psychological, spiritual, emotional state. So we're going to – we use food as, as a basis and as a start. Usually people get better and many times the reason they came to you goes away from just that particular change. But then we're always going back to that, that matrix and we're always thinking what is the root cause? What is the underlying imbalance here? And these steps don't have to be done in a stepwise approach. They can actually be done simultaneously. So the first step, the nutritionally dense diet, if you look at what Americans are eating – there's different statistics out there, but about 60 to 70 percent of the foods that we're eating is processed foods. And what the, the problem with these processed foods is they have the calories. So if you're trying to gain weight, they're there, but they don't have the nutritional value that good, wholesome, fresh, natural food has. And that can be problematic for for multiple reasons right i I think one statistic was saying that plant food was consumed uh, about 12 percent of americans diet is plant food 25 percent of american diet is animal food and then the rest is 63 percent is is going to be processed foods Mm. you basically well if you can get people off processed foods i'm sure they'll feel better pretty quickly um right right (laughs) so And, and let me let me mention so there's we have something called the MSQ it's a it's a medical symptom questionnaire and it's you can get it i believe you can get it online on the institute for functional medicine's website but basically this gives you a a whole bunch of questions that the patients can answer and we can come up with a store a, a, a total score so it's like there, there's GI symptoms and there's cardiovascular and there's allergy symptoms. And you have them fill, fill it out over the last seven days or however you can say over the last three days or of the last month, how often have you been feeling these things? And they, they score it. And at the end, you come up with a number. And the reason to do that before any type of intervention, especially diet, is because sometimes they may not realize that they're better because they're living with themselves day to day, but because diet affects so many systems, when they when you can tell them, look, your score went from an eighty to a forty. I think we're on the right track here. It's powerful. Is that questionnaire? Is that is that is that validated? That specific questionnaire. It's it's something. It's not validated. It's used in research. So a lot of times when functional medicine providers will do a research study they're using the msq okay. i'm not sure i'm not sure um of the validation okay and what are some For, of the symptoms or diseases that you target that you're targeting with with food are there specific ones that are kind of low-hanging fruit that we should think about doing this for our patients there there are i would say any chronic disease so you're talking diabetes high blood pressure like COPD, I, I'm heart talking failure. about and lupus even oh so even autoimmune conditions autoimmune conditions um, any any disease any chronic disease that you can think of and and how about just more general stuff like patients fatigued i get this all the time they're fatigued i order the mm-hmm. the standard labs i kind of you know rule out some big things that are more dangerous <laughs> and then you're like well you have fatigue Sir You'll find a B12 deficiency one day. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> I'm cool for you. Maybe a vitamin no, fatigue D deficiency. Fatigue is a big one. 
And right. let me so 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 here's the thing. So the MSQ, like I, like I said, it, it's it's always nice to get a a sub a uh, objective number to a subjective symptom, so or subjective symptoms. So being able to to have a number. So for example, I use the DAS questionnaire, which is um, are you guys familiar with it? That is validated. No. It was made in in it's an Australian questionnaire. And it is it stands for depression, anxiety, and stress, I believe. And basically, okay. they fill out this questionnaire, and then the you add it up and you tally it up, and it'll give you a number for depression, a number for anxiety, a number for stress. So, so this the the MSQ there. I know there has been talk to to change the MSQ and to get it more validated, but 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 but, but honestly. It helps us in in patient education, um, but so let's go to a nutritionally dense diet. So here 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 is what I think a lot of people miss. When if you look at if you look at fat, you know fat was bad and then fat was good and then it was bad again and it may be good again. And the truth is is that I guess it it, it depends on who you're dealing with. Everybody's genetically different. We we want to make sure that they get enough omega threes. We want to make sure that they're not eating too many omega-6s. If you, if you look at our ancestors, if you look at our Stone Age Paleolithic ancestors, it was believed that they had two omega-6s. And remember, the predominant omega-6 is arachidonic acid, which is pro-inflammatory. But they had two omega-6s to one omega-3. And if you look at animals that are grass-fed, that are eating what they were intended to eat, there's two omega-6s to one omega-3. If you look at the standard American diet, there's about 15 to 20 omega-6 to one of omega-3. So the balance is thrown off. It's not like omega-6 is bad. If you don't have enough arachidonic acid, you can get cancer. You can't fight against diseases. But the problem is, is that the the ratio is thrown off. And, And guess what? If you take cattle that are grain-fed, they have a ratio of 15 to 20 to 1, which is the same ratio as when we eat this garbage that we're not supposed to be eating. So mm-hmm. fats now, is saturated fat bad? That one time, and I remember in med school, we were taught that one of the worst things that you can, you can consume is, is coconut oil because it had the most amount of saturated fat per cubic meter or centimeter of anything else known to man, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you guys remember that. And now we're realizing that, you know, we might have been wrong with this saturated fat thing. It, it might have not been saturated fats. And we're, we're realizing that the big problem are the trans fats, are the, are the, the fats that have been hydrolyzed or hydrogenated. They've been adding, they add hydrogen mm-hmm. to it to change the composition, to make it not go rancid, to make it not, not, um, liquid at room temperature, that is a much bigger risk factor than than saturated fat. Yeah, but the hydrolyzed fat. Right, yeah. and then and I'm looking. Go ahead. Oh, I I was going to say I I have the the elimination diet food plan from the functional medicine website up there, and it looks like you have. I think some of this stuff is out in the public now. Avocado, olives, those are those are better better oils to eat. I I don't think as many people know about coconut oil, but that. Um, that coconut water is kind of a like a, a more popular drink these days. I think for people with hangovers. Not that I hang out with people that get hangovers, but you know, mm. um, I've I've seen that used. 
Um, right. Coconut oil, it breaks down. It has major uh, ketones. So uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the I'm blanking on the ketone. But it, it when you have people beta hydroxybutyrate. Yes, beta hydroxybutyrate. So when you have when you have patients that are that have memory problems, like a pre-Alzheimer's in a pre-Alzheimer's-like state, if you can get them on a ketogenic diet, you'll start seeing their memory get better. I mean, I've seen this over and over. And giving them coconut oil can actually help enhance that. Yeah, that's um, one of the one of the podcasts I routinely listen to has had a lot of the researchers on um, for this ketog- the Tim Ferriss show. He he talks. He's very into this ketogenic diet thing. And I think that came from JJ Abrams son had, uh, had refractory epilepsy. And then he kind of has helped to publicize the fact that the ketogenic diet is actually pretty effective for that. And then they've sort of adapted it to other things, kind of like, it's like calming or it helps people focus people think. And I guess there's all, some people use it as a performance aid, basically. Right. It, it turns out they, one of, one of the, the names out there for Alzheimer's is diabetes type 3. And when, when the body has to metabolize sugar for fuel, especially the brain, it can, it can accelerate toxic effects. So, so if, you can, if they are having that issue and if you can move to a more ketogenic fuel. It, it's, a, it's a stronger, more efficient fuel, and it doesn't cause the damage that, um, that, that sugar can cause over the years. But, but the, the, interesting, the, the interesting thing is you guys are familiar with ApoE4, right? The, is that the Alzheimer's? Uh, yeah, so they call it the Alzheimer's. So you can have Apo2, Apo3, or Apo4, and you have combinations, one from mom and one from dad. The most common is going to be Apo33. So Apo33 and Apo2 and Apo23, that, that category, they did a study, and what they found is that pa- patients with Apo2 and Apo3 were did much better from a cardiovascular, cardiometabolic point of view if they did a lower carb, higher fat type of diet. But patients that were APO four and three four and four four, they actually did did better if they did a lower fat, leaner type of diet. So hmm. so and and it turns out that APO E four, actually APO E is needed for cholesterol metabolism and um, when cholesterol when cholesterol is being broken down in the brain it can turn its toxic metabolite can accumulate which can actually start it could play a role in the pathogenesis of alzheimer's disease so it's it's so i think i think we we can we can recommend these diets, but we also have to look at biomarkers. And at the end of the day, we're trying to practice individualized medicine. So to say that this one diet is great for everybody, um, no, it, 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 that's not true. I think we, ha- it, we have to help patients become more aware. I think there's some standards that we should set. So like, like I mentioned, we, we want to make sure that they're eating healthy fats and stay away from the trans fats. We want to make sure if, if they are if they're if they're cooking with oils, maybe lightly saute that you don't want them you don't want the oils to get too hot because that can hydrolyze them. Make sure that they have a good protein to carbohydrate ratio. Uh, make sure so so another another thing is phytonutrients. 
So it turns out, and this is this is where this is where I think most nutritionists are going to just miss it, and most physicians are going to completely just miss the full picture. So, yeah, you can take you can you can theorize on what vitamins we have and certain vitamins we've discovered and and certain micronutrients we know that they're they're in foods right so you can you can you can put all of those vitamins into a bottle and give somebody a pill but they're not going to get the same thing as they would get from food every color if you look at your your orange foods and your green foods and your and your um blue purple foods, every one of those colors is a phytonutrient, and these phytonutrients have healing properties. They have anti-cancer properties. They have, they have liver detoxification properties. They, they're prebiotics, so they have all of these healing properties in them. So what, what we tell patients is to, to eat a colorful plate and to eat, you, you need about eight servings of fruits and vegetables a day, two of fruit, two of fruit and, um, and six of vegetables. So they cut down on the sugars. Now, here's an interesting thing. There is a, there is a phytonutrient called sulforaphane. Have you guys heard of sulforaphane? Mm-mm. No. Nope. Sulforaphane was studied at Johns Hopkins for its anti-cancer property. And the interesting thing about sulforaphane, it wakes up your phase two detoxification enzymes. So it helps you metabolize toxins and chemicals. And and that may be why it has anti-cancer properties. But anyway, so sulforaphane is a phytonutrient. You find it in broccoli. When you take broccoli and you put it in a microwave and you heat it up at these ungodly high temperatures, you kill the phytonutrients. You kill the, the the sulforaphane. You kill you, you kill the different the different phytonutrients that are found in these foods. So if you're if 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 you lightly saute them, some some, um, some foods do better if you lightly saute them. Some food, foods are better raw. You just kind of have to look look them up and figure it out. Mm-hmm. But but when when you're microwaving, when you're cooking at high temperatures, you're killing phytonutrients and phytonutrients are really nature's medicines. So now imagine somebody that the only vegetable they do get is they take broccoli and what do they do? They put it, it's, they, they keep it in plastic and they heat it up in the microwave. I mean, plastic is a toxicant. It might not be BPA, but BPA, BPA, which was in all our water bottles at one point, Mm. Which is is an immuno? Uh, it, it, it's an immune dysregulator. Well, guess what? Plastics are, are foreign material, and our body has to try to get rid of them. Yeah. So, part of eating a nutritionally dense diet is making sure they're getting all the colors. Trying to make sure that they're they're getting the the five or six different color spectrums, and that they're they're eating the, eating it frequently. So. The the logistics of this are, I think, part of part of what's uh, what's interesting. So one, getting patients to eat vegetables other than just like lettuce and tomato on their McDonald's burger, <laughs> and uh, that's right. that's being cynical. But uh, two, <laughs> two is uh, I'm looking at the elimination diet plan from uh, from the Institute of Functional Medicine, and it's it's kind of saying, okay, if you're going to eat meat, it should be wild game or um, things that are probably a little more expensive than some what some patients can afford. All these organically organic, grass fed, free range, non GMO. 
is there is there a way to do this on a budget um Paul there Paul, is well, yeah well here here's the thing so so the elimination diet is phase 2 phase 1 is the nutritionally dense diet so i haven't even gotten into what you're eliminating so instead mm-hmm. of saying don't eat this don't eat that don't eat this i'm saying let's make sure we're eating these things so let's make sure that you're getting your good fats in I'm checking omega three levels, so I'm gonna I'm gonna push for those ratios, and I'm gonna I'm going to supplement with a good quality omega three if need be. If 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 not, I mean, that if they can get it from food, then they can get it from food, and then and then I'm going to make sh- I'm gonna try to get them to eat their. Uh, increase their vegetable intake, decrease their processed food intake, and start cutting down on sugar. And that's really the first step. Now, you want to, if you want to start, let's get deeper into it. Okay, you can get everybody eating healthy. Get them to start exercising. They'll do much better. Work on their sleep. That's huge. We could, we could do another podcast on sleep because there, there are different <laughs> natural things that we can do to get them sleeping. And, and yeah. that this, the science, science proves that significantly decreases mortality when you can get them on a good sleep mm-hmm. schedule. But so, so now you want to get a little controversial. Have you heard of the 10 American study? No. no. Nope. Okay, the 10 American study. They took 10 Americans yeah. and they checked their blood and they looked for around 400 and some toxic toxins uh, i'm sorry chemicals many of them were chemicals that were banned that are no longer allowed to be used mm-hmm. and what they found is there was at least 300 chemicals many of them banned found in the blood of these 10 americans and guess who these 10 americans were they were brand new babies and they took it from cord blood so this whole idea that we can, we can use these chemicals and they're safe at a certain level, if you have 300 chemicals at a safe level and one liver, how is your body going to deal with that? Right. Yeah. So Matt was so, quietly reading my mind, I think, because yeah. part of the issue is, is that I, I work basically in a food desert. And so the idea of even getting sort of fresh produce is just probably expensive for the large majority of my patients. So I guess practically speaking, a plan B for them. Like, do you have any sense of what that might look like or how I might recommend yeah, sort of the so, same health so, principles without compromising budget? Okay, so if you're saying let's not compromise budget but let, let's not eat fruits and vegetables, I'm sorry. I mean, they're <laughs> stuck. You're going to keep giving them their drugs. But on the other hand, if you're talking – <laughs> I think we need to work – I do think we can work on them having a home garden and I do think you can get frozen – I think frozen foods are yeah, excellent. I was going to ask about that. Because, that was a question. Yes. Yeah. Right. Frozen foods are fine. But then again, so if you – so some people though are going to be sensitive to the chemicals. If, if – this is just theoretical. But let's say you needed let's, – let's say that a thousand years ago, the amount of, of – of chemicals that you were exposed to, you needed 500 liver enzymes to detoxify, right? And let's say somebody has 700, somebody has 800, somebody has 900. And nowadays, and and, and now move them to nowadays, and let's say you really need 800. Well, guess what? The people that are under 800 that would have been fine back then, they're going to get sensitive to chemicals. Now, the problem is what happens when you're sensitive to chemicals? What happens when you have chemical overload, when you get chemical poisoning? What, what happens to your Agent Orange patients? Uh, they get all sorts of stuff. There's a gigantic list of things that they – Diabetes, yeah. right? 
diabetes, hyperlipidemia, they can get cancers, malignancies, all of those, all of these things, all of these chronic diseases before, I mean, for how long, how long did they even deny that Agent Orange was even an issue? Now, Agent Orange was an exfoliant. It was just a, it was a higher amount, but they're using it on our crops now. They're using it as weed killer. Uh, and that's just one of the, the the chemicals. So the challenge is is that these chemicals have these these chemicals cause chronic disease, and Americans have chronic disease, and it's almost impossible to make that connection unless you can get them to cut the chemicals down. So what what so not only do you have to work on food, food is a big thing, but you talk to them about using natural products for cleaning and find out if they are doing their own bug spray without a mask. I, like like so one of the thi- one of the elimination parts is start eliminating these chemicals. And the beautiful thing is there there have you guys heard of the environmental work group? It sounds familiar. ewg.org. Yeah. Every okay. just give your ewg.org. They will give you the dirty dozen and the clean 15. The oh, dirty yeah. dozen it's the dirty dozen are the twelve fruits and vegetables that have the oh, most yeah, amount of of pe- pesticides and um, and chemicals in them, and the clean fifteen are the ones that have the least amount. So the dirty dozen, if you're going to eat organic, you're going to want to go for the dirty dozen, organic, and then the clean fifteen, you don't have to do organic as much, and that's that's one point. So you can. And I have some patients that when they start eliminating the chemicals and when they, st- they stop spraying the air spray and they stop using bleach and they stop and they start and they and they, they clean their diet, they start feeling better. Now let's talk about genetically modified foods, that big controversy. Sure. Okay. So there's a lot of rumor out there that people that work for Monsanto, the company that makes genetically modified foods, eat organic themselves for themselves and their families. Uh-huh. So – what are they doing with genetically modified foods? They are adding something called lectins. Not leptin, lectins. Are you guys familiar with lectins? Yes. Okay. Actually, yeah. Okay. okay. Maybe Matt's not. Who knows? I'm not. Okay. No. So, no. okay Matt's here's, not. Here's the thing with lectins. Lectins are the plant's defense. It's the way that the plant defends itself. And what, what lectins are is they are proteins that bind to sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what happens when we end up, they end up genetically modifying foods and adding lectins to the plants in higher amounts than they normally have. Okay. So they, all plants are going to have some lectins in them. And if you eat too many of certain lectins, you can get really sick. Actually, you could die with certain lectins. But but what they're doing when they genetically modify, they add more lectins, and those lectins help fight against bugs, right? Mm-hmm. And they're resistant to chemicals. What do they do when we ingest them? Attack us. You know, well, let's kind maybe, of like- <laughs> maybe, maybe. You, well, rice so, is so a lectin, here's the interesting right? thing. So here's the interesting thing. So you guys have heard of glucosamine, right? Yes. Yes, of course. Okay. If you look at one of the problems of the rheumatoid arthritis is the they have dysfunctional IgG immunoglobulins. The end chain of the immunoglobulin, so if the immunoglobulin is a Y, so the bottom of that Y should be galactose. 
But in rheumatoid arthritis patients, many of them are glucosamine. So, one of, so if, if you look at the lectin found in wheat, now wheat isn't gen- genetically modified yet, but what my point of the, adding the lectins was that lectins are, sugar, are, 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 are proteins that bind to sugar. So the lectin in wheat actually likes to bind to glucosamine. So it binds to the end chain of that IgG immunoglobulin. And remember, what does our immune system look for? Complexes of sugar and protein. So it sees that complex, and that may be why the body starts attacking itself, because of that lectin that, 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 that binds to it. Now, open that up to all of the foods that are genetically modified, and the sky is the limit for autoimmunity. If you have these lectins, these high amounts of lectins that we weren't exposed to that are going into our body and binding to different sugars in the body, it's, it's, it's a wonder that most of us don't have autoimmune disease. <laughs> yeah, so there have, I mean, there's, there's got to be more, more factors involved, but that's... Right. So what, it, um, what, what do you think is the success rate in if, if people really follow one of these elimination diets? Let's say you get someone newly diagnosed with lupus and they, they're, they're seeing a rheumatologist that's going to put them on some, some prednisone and some cytoxin or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Are you seeing these people at the same time and, and trying to work on their diet, work on their lifestyle, trying to get them off their meds? Yeah, it's always hard to judge how compliant they are, but I see people come completely off their meds. I see people with ANA that just disappears. And there's, there's more. So another problem with lectins, and this is the whole genetic – you have lectins and think about what genetically modified foods are going to have in them. They're also going to have the pesticides in them. Pesticides kill bugs. Guess what's our intestine? Bugs, the microbiome. So, the, so, so now you end up eating these things and they cause increased intestinal permeability. And then – you have nuclear material, maybe from viri, from viruses or from, from bacteria or whatnot that can leak into your bloodstream and then your body can attack nuclear material and you may get anti-nuclear antibodies. And that's one of the theories behind why anti-nuclear antibodies actually occur. Um, another theory is, is that the chemicals that go into the system can bind to your DNA and change the DNA just molecularly change it to where the body thinks it's foreign and it makes anti-nuclear antibodies as well. So there's different theories to why this can cause autoimmunity, but um, there's one thing for sure, autoimmunity is on the rise. Right. And and kind of a similar principle, you're talking about the gut. I, I heard a lecture by a, a GI doctor um, kind of talking about gut microbiome, which is one of my obsessions. And he was talking about how if you eat enough meat... Uh, and these are the antibiotic fed beef and and all these uh, all these all this meat with all the antibiotics pumped into it that who knows what that's having what effect that is having on the microbiome because you might be getting low levels of antibiotics through your food right oh right absolutely so that that kind of freaked me out but I I, I still enjoy <laughs> I still enjoy some meat now and again um, I wish I think you should so what I do because I don't want to go crazy either and I I got to be practical and you got to die sometime right right so. Uh, in the house, we try to keep it clean. So in the house, we're going organic for the things that are are that that you that have the higher amount of pesticides. Uh, we avoid. I mean, if 
you know what? I like popcorn. I like air pop popcorn, but I like seeing that it's GMO free because most corns out there now, especially in the States, are genetically modified and illegal in Europe. So, so I, I mean, you, you, you kind of try to make your house a safe haven. And when you go out to eat, it, you know, that's your cheat day or okay. cheat week. I mean, that's what I do. But I, obviously, we have some patients that are so sensitive that they, they, they get autoimmunity, they get these chronic diseases, and they end up just staying away from the food because they realize they make that connection and they feel pretty dang bad. It's easier for us that don't have those that, – that, 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 that aren't extremely sick on the foods. Right. But um, – but, for them, they usually just stay off it. They're better than I am with it. But that brings us to – so the next step is, okay, so, so you want a nutritionally dense diet. Are you eating your different phytonutrients? Are you making sure you're not microwaving them or cooking them and killing the benefit? Um, you're trying to stay away from chemicals. You're trying to you're, – you're, you're, so, so you can – the next step is you can go the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15, go to that list and kind of do what you have to do there. Go more frozen like, like you guys were mentioning. Um, what can you do if they're on a budget? And then, and then the next step, you've done all of that. You've, you're, they're eating healthy foods. They're still not well. Or they're very motivated and, or they have autoimmunity. Go on an elimination diet. So there's different types of elimination diets out there. One, you could remove gluten. Now, when I was in med school, the, the, or when I was in residency, the diagnosis we ran away from was celiac disease. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. Because it was such a hard, difficult thing, I didn't want to diagnose them with it, and I didn't even want to think that it existed. Hmm. And it just keeps creeping up in our literature to where it's there's there's the point where I I don't know if you guys are familiar with the studies on subclinical celiac causing osteoporosis. So no, are you okay? I mean, up to date. It <laughs> look on up to date. If you look at one of the causes for osteoporosis is subclinical celiac, where you don't have GI manifestations. You just your body, you but you do have celiac disease, and it manifests as osteopor- uh, osteoporosis. So, so the thing is, is that gluten is a very hard to digest protein, and and. If you have somebody that's healthy with a healthy microbiome, they probably should be able to to take care of or they should be able to metabolize gluten. Because remember, these proteins are supposed to become amino acids. But what 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 ha- when, once the body breaks them down? But if the body is 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 not healthy, if there's increased intestinal permeability, if there's chemicals, whatever 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 the case is, the microbiome is disrupt. That well, what ends up happening is is that these this gluten can leak into your system, and it could cause what's called molecular mimicry, where you're you have an antibody that's going to attack a gluten and turn around and attack your thyroid or attack gluten and turn around and attack your pancreas. I mean, there was a study in kids with type pre-type 1 diabetic. They found that they had anti-islet cell antibodies, and they put them on a gluten-free diet, and the anti-islet cell antibodies went away, and they put them back on gluten, and the anti-islet cell antibodies came right back. So, so gluten is a major cause of autoimmunity, not because, not because it's just a 
bad thing to consume, but but it, because we're – I mean some people will disagree and think gluten is of the devil. I think our ancestors ate barley. They had, sp- sp- they had sp- uh, sprouted grains. Nowadays though, they throw wheat in everything and soy in everything and corn in everything. And we just weren't really meant to eat all of these proteins all the time with every single meal. If anybody reads labels, they'll know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's nuts. All these things, all these potential allergens are thrown in there. So gluten can be a problem, but wheat can also be a problem because the lectins in wheat could potentially be a problem. And it's, we talked last time briefly about FODMAP diets. It's a FODMAP. So there's multiple reasons why eating wheat may be an issue. So if somebody has autoimmunity and they're not willing to do anything at all except one thing, I'll say, okay, gluten-free diet. There's Forget a- about – we can talk about supplementation later, but, but from a dietary point of view, gluten-free diet. What were you going to say? I was going to say there's a book I recently read called Sapiens uh, and the, the author talks about uh, – he talks he, – it's basically talking about a brief history of humankind. So it's called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And he talks about how our ancestors were kind of moving around. And he basically argues that wheat domesticated man, not the other way around. And that man is spending all mm. of a sudden, instead of just, man had a very easy life, kind of going around, hunting, gathering. And then suddenly now it's like picking weeds so that this plant wheat can grow. It's, it's actually pretty funny. Kind of hates on wheat a little bit. He, he, it had nothing to do with a health perspective. He was just arguing that it kind of, it didn't make... It allowed us to have larger societies, but it didn't really improve quality of life for the people living in them. So anyway, it's a yeah, random tangent, say, but <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I'd say, I, and I'd say that's true. I think that's that's, and we're feeding wheat to our animals, which are changing the animals. We 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 know that it changes animals um, their 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 fat compositions, and we eat that fat composition, and and then what happens to us? So so the next step. So if they will do two things, it's gluten and dairy. Now dairy, if you got if you and and you know there's issues with 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 raw milk, but raw milk is what our ancestors would would consume sometimes, and that raw milk would have antibodies that would would fight against bad bacteria and there were there there was healing properties in milk now they pasteurize it i mean they inject the cows with all kinds of hormones and 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 when they pasteurize it casein actually becomes becomes uh denatured and becomes unsoluble and then you get this unsoluble protein and there's data showing that there's cross reactivity between casein and anti um, myelin sheath antibodies. And what happens if your body starts attacking myelin sheaths? Multiple sclerosis? I don't know. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> Can you say that again? Like more uh, Mo- multiple, multiple sclerosis? sclerosis? Oh, no. <laughs> not in a question, man. Do it, yeah. in a, do it as a confident. Yeah, multiple sclerosis. This is sclerosis. not Jeopardy. <laughs> Stuart? <laughs> <laughs> I have no confidence, so- sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> so, so yes, multiple. So, if I have somebody with MS, I'm optimizing their vitamin D levels. I'm getting up to eighty or or, or higher. I'm getting them on a good probiotic, and I'm telling them get the heck off dairy, glu- dairy, 
and gluten if you can, but dairy because of, because of that possible cross-reactivity. So anyway, so then we have the comprehensive elimination diet, which is you eliminate the 10 most troublesome foods, gluten grains, corn, beef and pork, shellfish, soy, oranges, peanuts, refined sugars, dairy products, and eggs. And by refined sugars, I'll also add non-nutritive sweeteners, the, the ones that are chemicals that they say are safe, but they don't really help diabetics and they don't really help people lose weight, but we consume them anyway and they're chemicals. So, so, so you're, you know you're what saying I'm, no diet soda. <laughs> I'm saying diet soda is probably not the best thing for you if you're trying to lose weight or if you're trying to be healthy. <laughs> Yeah, I would but agree I don't, with that. Let's not mention any names because I don't want to get taken out and, and sued and all sure. that. Let me. I'm let noticing. Me pay off I'm noticing first. coffee, tea, and chocolate on this list. Uh, that's that's you know. You know, you know that there's haters, man. <laughs> they can say that. Actually, you know, I think I guess because the caffeine can burn out the adrenal gland, and they're you're, you're probably looking at the more updated one. And they're trying to eliminate any possible thing that could be causing an issue. Mm-hmm. So some of the allergens are going to be more IgE-mediated allergens. Others are going to be IgG-mediated intolerances. I wouldn't even call them allergens. So it's taking the most – it's taking the foods that are harder for us to digest. And um, uh, peanuts, you want to stay away from that because there could be a like a, a mold – contamination. So they're saying, all right, let's take away the the most bothersome foods. Let's get back to the basics. Eat your fruits, eat your vegetables, eat your healthier meats. And let's let's do this for a month. See what your symptoms are like and then reintroduce one food at a time later. And and people find out that it's better than any blood test that you can do. People will find out what's bothering them if they do this properly. And what's amazing is it is so rare to have somebody do an elimination diet and a month later not feel better. Like it's almost non-existent. I can think of – I've put so many people on elimination diets. I can only think of maybe two cases where they absolutely felt no better. And I don't know if they were BSing me or not. Well, we are going to start Stuart on an elimination diet tomorrow. Please and do. In one, in one month, he's going to tell us how he feels. You know, we should probably would... start my, my daughter on it. I, I was reading, I pulled up an article on, <laughs> on uh, ASD and elimination diet, and there was a couple of interesting things on, on PubMed and the, the sulforaphane uh, and ASD. There's a couple of ongoing studies. Um, for those who don't know, my, my daughter has severe autism. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to find anything that helps out, but... Be interesting to try it. Yeah, Has- one of the one of the things we're finding with autism definitely getting on a good quality probiotic, and another thing is the the methylfolate. Hmm. And have you got have you thought of doing? How old is she? Uh, she's ter- uh, she's actually four. I totally forgot how old okay. she was. <laughs> you, can, you can get us. You can get a saliva sample and do the twenty three and Me. Have you, have you done the twenty three and Me or looked at that? No, uh, we we did it for uh, a couple of family members, but we haven't gone down to her yet. Have you looked at methylation with it, or are we just looking at where you're, if, whether you're Neanderthal or not? Uh, we found out that we are ne- Neanderthals. 
I am Neanderthal. When I did mine, I was like higher. I'm like 99 percentile Neanderthal. But if you take those SNPs and you can run them through different programs, I don't know if you knew, you can look at methylation pathways. You oh, really? can like get your APOE status. You can look at – it's looking at over 400 SNPs. It's, it's worth way more than care, where your ancestors are from. Oh, and interesting. I did not know that. What's the cost of the 23andMe? It's, it's $200. It and, used to be 100 but they upped it. And this is the home genetic testing, home it's genome. It's not the whole genome. It's not the whole genome. That's going to be more in the thousands. But it's going to be, it's going to be about four hundred different single nucleotide polymorphisms. So MTHFR, which which you need to convert folate to methylfolate. Um, there, it, it it's checking multiple methionine synthase. It, it, the, the different. COMT, COMT is is needed to break down adrenaline. So if you have COMT SNPs, certain SNPs where it doesn't function properly, then people that they release adrenaline. So if they get stressed, the adrenaline stays longer in their system. So so it it, it looks at all of those SNPs. Okay, I'm sure it's missing some, but I mean, it's if you did the test, it's worth it because. Methylfolate seems to re- – especially really high dose seems to really help autistic kids. So I would look up methylfolate. And there are some autistic kids that they, they actually have a condition where their CSF has antibodies that will attack folate. So you have to go higher amounts. You have to go really high in, in the folate levels. But just look up. If you just PubMed methylfolate and autism, you'll, I think you'll be surprised. So So when I have somebody on a – on an elimination diet. I hate wasting it. I hate just putting them on an elimination diet and then that's all they do and then we can try something else later. So what I tend to do is I put them on what we call a detox. Now, yeah, there's de- there's all of there's you can buy a detox at the drugstore and they think they feel better and move on, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a a scientific liver detoxification. And, and so, so what do I mean by that? Well, first, you want to decrease the toxic load. So we talked about cutting out chemicals. We talked about getting out sugars and foods that, are, that the, the body has to process and that are harder on the body. So you eliminate that. But the liver has to go through phase one and phase two detoxification. If you remember, the, if in pharmacology, we have the drug pathways where you go through first first pass metabolism and second pass metabolism. Well, guess what? That wasn't made just so we can take drugs and metabolize them. That was made so we can metabolize all the chemicals endogenous and exogenous. But we have endogenous chemicals as well. And it turns out that um, you really want to up your phase two and there are certain substances like sulforaphane that help with phase two, two um, detoxification. Um, you need methylation. So I mentioned methylfolate. So methylfolate, methyl B6, methyl B12, methylcobalamin. It, all of those vitamins need to be activated. They need to be turned into the activated form. And people are different in the way that they can activate them. So folate needs to be converted to 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. And B6, pyridoxine, needs to be converted to, to pyridoxine 5-phosphate. And B12 needs to be converted from cyano to methylcobalamin. So riboflavin needs to be converted to riboflavin 5-phosphate. So the, the active form, the methylated form of these vitamins 
a lot of times people eat the take in the raw vitamin, but they can't activate it as well as others. So we'll give them these methylated active vitamins that are needed for one of the forms of phase two detoxification, which is called methylation. So we, we, we put them on this either through supplements or through shakes. A lot of times we'll give them shakes that have a protein in it, that have a hypoallergenic protein in it, but then have these phase two detoxification these aids so you're not so you're decreasing the toxic load but then you're giving the liver what it needs to detoxify and put them on a probiotic because good bacteria can also detoxify and now after a month instead of just being on elimination diet they were on elimination diet but they encouraged eliminating some of those toxins that are toxicants that accumulate in our body so i get more bang for my buck when i get them to do that so if they can, if, if it's something that they're willing to do, most people say, you know what, no, just let me do this, this cleanse and, and that way they can get, they get more out of it. Well, Dr. Elliot, with the, with this, both the diet and sort of the, the adding back up with the detoxification, what, what's your track record with adherence? I'm just trying to picture this in my own patient population, just in terms of please less calories and just take one or two of your blood pressure medications. Like <laughs> yeah. how, like how, yeah, how, how, how do you mind. do in terms of your patients following this? Cause this seems like it'd be very challenging to actually maintain for a month and then to add more pills to take on top. I just, it sounds. Paul, Paul, you have to remember that if they're paying out of pocket, they're probably going to be more compliant than our patients. Fair. Fair. <laughs> so have you guys heard of Terry Walls, Dr. Terry Wall? So so familiar, but I'm not I'm not Listen, sure. She she is a functional medicine legend. She actually she ha, she's a, she's a VA doctor, and she ended up with MS, and she ended up with um with going to I can't remember it was Mayo or one of the big centers, and they basically said you have the worst form of MS. You're pretty much crippled. So she said, no, forget, I'm not, I'm not buying it. So she went and she researched and she started doing the functional medicine thing and she came up with these supplements and with those supplements, she, she got better. And then she's like, you know what? Okay, I'm taking the supplements, but shouldn't the foods have these things in them? So she went and did her research and she came up with something. She has a book called The Walls Protocol and she does group visits for the VA where they all come together and they do this protocol and she came up on her with her version of the paleo diet, making sure that you get the right amount of phytonutrients and, and, and nutrients. And she's pretty f- popular in our circles, and she's a VA doctor. So hmm. you I probably think, want to hook up yeah, she, with her. She has a TED Talk. Buy her book at least. I, I, I heard about does her she recently. Yeah, she yeah. does. I think she might have gotten an award recently or, or something like that um, for, but for her work with MS. That's very interesting. Now, you- oh, it is. I get these people with MS, and when they go on, I put them on her protocol because she 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 pushes. She says you have to have three cups of of sulfating vegetables and three cups of of other greens, and so it's it's down to a to a science. Um, so she she makes it even easier for them. So which actually brings us to the paleo diet. So the paleo diet is even. It's a little bit more than the elimination diet. So there's certain foods that you can eat in the paleo, but you can't eat in the elimination diet. But what is the paleo diet? The, the whole theory is, is that our bodies were designed to live in our 
in the ancient Paleolithic environment, and that's where we would thrive. So let's take away all the processed crap, and let's avoid, in particular, these lectins that we would not have been eating in a high amount. And remember, lectins, the lectin in wheat could be causing, could be causing rheumatoid arthritis, and, um, and glucosamine, because glucosamine is on the end chain of that IgG in a rheumatoid arthritis patient, glucosamine could actually be acting as a lectin sponge. And that might be why patients are getting better. Some patients are getting better with arthritis. They may have a problem with the lectins in wheat. So you take in that glucosamine and instead of binding to the IgG antibody, it binds to the glucosamine you take orally. So anyway, so that being said, the paleo diet, you're going to avoid dairy, you're going to avoid gluten, you're going to avoid rice, you're going to avoid all grains, you're going to eat your vegetables, your fruits, and your meat, and your nuts and seeds. And when I have somebody that has autoimmunity and the elimination diet doesn't do it, this is the next step. I put them on a paleo diet. Does, and does I that try include my best. fasting as well? Doesn't, isn't that part of it because it's kind so, of a hunter-gatherer thing? So there's... You can, so yeah, if you want to do if so if you want paleo diet is just the food. If you want the paleo lifestyle, then yes, go Earth, run out there barefoot, um, the, because Earth has an, a, a negative charge, and there's there's some theory that that <laughs> negative charge is good for us. Then um, then yeah, go go ahead. That's why I, I think I saw Stuart running around the neighborhood yeah. shirt, <laughs> shirtless and barefoot today. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> saw some jigglies. <laughs> Hey, uh, I, however, I think you know, Paul and I are, are very uh, – we're, we're kind of stuck on the last question. What, what's your, your ad- adherence with these patients? Oh, How successful? Very, yeah. very good. No, I, I forgot I didn't answer that. <laughs> it's okay. So it, it's very successful because you have to look at them and you have to assume that they're going to do it. And you have to tell them that how they did it and you have to show them. I'll pull out – so, so – I, we mentioned in the last podcast that just by having them do a handful of nuts a day that you can significantly decrease their risk of cardiovascular disease. Some studies show up to 50% decrease. If you look at population studies, just by doing a handful of nuts a day, I will pull out a packet of, of, of the 100-calorie the almonds that I bought from my local grocery store and I show them the packet and say, I buy these and I have one of these a day. Like what, like I said, oh yeah, I do this cleanse twice a year, but you, you have to see where they're at. That's why I said there's multiple options. You could say gluten-free, dairy-free. Okay. You don't want to eliminate anything. Try to eat more of these things. So you, you assess patient readiness. So when I see that the patient is ready, I go for it. If I don't think the patient is ready, I'm not going to give them a really hard diet like this to do. If the patient is ready, it becomes easy for them. Mm-hmm. And it seems like so crazy for us, but is it really crazy to eat fruits and vegetables and meat? That's what our that's I mean, have have an apple and a banana and a piece of chicken and quit whining. Yeah, I I, I keep having this image in my mind of, of us running around with spears and you know, togas and maybe not togas, <laughs> but you know. But uh, and having a life expectancy of thirty to fifty years, so <laughs> that's you know. a myth, man. So the li- life expectancy of thirty to fifty years is because your buddy would have hit you with that spear. <laughs> and the other thing is infant mortality. If, right. if you look at infant mortality, that's where modern science is amazing. Up to ten percent of babies born nowadays need some sort of neonatal resuscitation. Right. So let's say you have, let's say. That, that, that you have 50 people, or let's say you have 100 people, and, and let's say 
that that 20 of them, well, let's say 50 of let's say they live to 100 years of age, 50 of them live to 100, and 50 of them die at birth. Now your life expectancy is right. 50 years. Right. right? It, it looks so, like a developing so country's of, growth that's, curve. That's, that's that's skewed data that where there's accidents they're gonna but there we have all we have record of people living over 100 years i mean read the bible man they were like thousands of years 969 <laughs> <laughs> yeah man that was the pale that they were running around with spears and they were smart enough to not stab each other so if you look up i mean okay you guys are googling everything google <laughs> we, we, i do the same thing i just can't google now when i'm talking to you but go ahead and google the myth behind the expected life expectancy or or paleolithic life expectancy it's a bunch of bs okay this well unless you get speared yeah, and nowadays yeah. with the political climate you may get shot so back <laughs> to the, i hope i hope that answered your question of yes they they i assess patient readiness and 80% of the time if i put someone on a diet they come back and they've done it that's that's but, fantastic. That's better than. But that's uh, because I assess readiness. I ask them, oh, yeah, "Are you? Right. What do you think? Are you willing to do this? How much are you willing to do? How bad do you want this? Are you willing to change your diet?" So you ask a couple of questions, and if they say, "Yeah, I'm going to do it," and they look you in the eye and you say, "I'll see you in a week to see how you're doing," there's a much higher chance than you know. I know you're not going to do it, or you're probably not going to do it, but it's good for you. I, that, and that unfortunately begs the follow-up question: How many? What percentage of patients are ready to do it? When you when you first open this up to them, and they've mm-hmm. never heard of functional medicine before, and and you start saying, "Hey, we can cure your diabetes and your multiple sclerosis and your brain tumor with a diet and changes and you know very simple things," and they kind of look at you askew. What what percentage of those patients? What's the buy-in? I suppose. Well, the first thing is you don't tell them you can cure it because that could get you in some trouble. So we're not curing. We are balancing. Right, right. right okay. I'm sorry. Wrong <laughs> so choice I of words. Say, you know, I have a patient that had multiple sclerosis or I have patients with multiple sclerosis. And what, what it seems to be is a, a – it, it seems to be an imbalance of the, your immune system. And then you kind of mm-hmm. go into the root cause. And, but so, so, so here's – we're all human. And how, how successful are they in the beginning? Very successful. But then life kicks in. And right. then you have to find healthy habits they can continue even if all they're doing is eating a handful of nuts a day. Or all they're doing is eating, okay, they were eating two servings of vegetables, now they're doing five. Or they stopped microwaving their food. You know, little, or they stopped heating up plastic. Humans, some of them, yes, they go, go on a diet and they stay on it forever. But what ends up happening is they find a happy medium. And I think the majority of patients make some sort of lifestyle changes. Right. Yeah, and probably on reflection, it's a little bit of an easier sell just because you're actually treating and not preventing. So, like, there's actual potential palpable benefits as opposed to theoretic ones, if that makes any kind of sense. That probably sort of helps impact buy-in as well, I would think. Yeah, when right. you're, you're not right, like, right, right. this is going to help you in 50 years. You're right. Like, you may not get a stroke now. You're welcome. Try this for a month. You might feel totally better. And yeah. You might feel no different, but in 50 right. years ago. and – and I wouldn't take somebody that is doing great and tell them you have to go on this diet. Right. What I would tell them, what I believe, I like the 80-20 rule that, you know what, try to get 80% of your food as paleolithic food. As, as, yes, you don't need all those grains. You don't need all the, 
you don't you don't need all of this food that's supposed to be you don't need processed foods so yeah okay you're going to eat it once in a while but try to make sure that's why i start off with the whole the it's called the core food program and now if the institute for functional medicine they have a cardiometabolic plan and they have a energy plan and they have all of these different diets but you know going to the basics you want to make sure they get their fats make sure they get their phytonutrients make sure they get their proteins all right. So the next step, so they've tried a paleo diet. I, like I said, I mentioned uh, I would look up Dr. Wall's protocol, look up her book, and she has a very specific type of paleo diet that I think works really well. If they're having bloating and they're having irritable bowel or restless leg syndrome, then and, and the, the above isn't working, then we can try a low FODMAP diet. And if you want to know about the low FODMAP diet, go to our last podcast we discussed that a little bit, and and that can help. And and step three, once you've you've tried eliminating things, and you can also replace deficiencies. So you may. So why why is it that we have these deficiencies? You think they fortify our foods, and 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 we should be, or if somebody's eating healthy, that they should be. They should be fine. They should they should not have a, a vitamin deficiency. Well, with it, it all depends on what they're eating, and even if they think they're eating healthy, sometimes the farmers aren't using good soil. And if the topsoil doesn't have selenium in it, your vegetables and fruits aren't going to get selenium, and you can become selenium deficient, and you can end up with autoimmune thyroid disease. So, so sometimes we'll fill in the gaps. We'll, there, there are vitamin tests that we can do that check all of your vitamins. The, the big challenge is the is the um, water soluble vitamins. So you can easily do the you can do vitamin testing that will look at intracellular levels and 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 there's different ways of trying to figure out if you're chronically deficient in some of these water soluble vitamins and 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 if you're if you're there's one statistic that said about 50% of Americans are deficient in one vitamin so you want to replace the deficiencies and if, after that if they're still not better or if they still need some work then we go to we try to rebalance the system. So we try to find out what is their imbalance. Do they have a problem with liver detoxification? Then we talked a little bit about that earlier. Let's give them things to help the liver. Is there a problem, their energy production and mitochondria? Let's give them, let's give them things that, that help detoxify them and let's give them mitochondrial nutrients. So in a nutshell, that's really how we heal with food. Is is there a standard lab panel that that pay, that our listeners can request, or that our listener, if they're if they're patients, or that they can order if they're physicians um, to to kind of check their imbalances or deficiencies? Vitamin deficiencies. Vitamin deficiencies. There's something. There's Spectra Cell Laboratories. They do a they they do a white blood cell test. So they actually see if the white blood cell will grow a certain percentage, giving it specific nutrients so and that can tell you what your status has been over the last four to six um four to six months and then there's something called the nutra eval by genova diagnostics and i i have no affiliation with either of those companies but they can they can also based on certain biomarkers they can kind of hint at what the balance imbalances are in general what i like doing with a standard lab i like checking for this thing this mthfr gene mutation and i like checking a homocysteine 
because if that's off, then they may need methylfolate, which is the active form of folate. Taking regular folic acid can hurt them. You can check zinc. You can check vitamin D, the 25-OH vitamin D at a regular lab. You can check B12. You can check RBC folate. And if you're looking at magnesium, you can get RBC magnesium. And I think, I think that's a good start either way to check those vitamins. You have to have some sort of a diagnosis like, like fatigue and fight with insurance. But I think if, even if you don't have access to these specialty labs, your regular lab can at least do those things. Right. So just a follow-up, kind of a snarky question. So you, you, you leave home and you look in your pocket and, oh, gosh darn, you kind of you, you left your stone spear at home. Uh, you happen to not have any of your raw carrots or broccoli in your other pocket. You, the only thing you have is your, is your debit card. And you happen to be, I don't know, 10, 15 miles from home, and it, it would take a while to hike back. Uh, because we're kind of stone agey at this point, um, yeah. and you happen to, to pass by a bunch of uh, fast food restaurants. What do you pass by? What do you buy? What do you eat? If that's all you have an option for, and that, that's unfortunately what a lot of our well, patients give me my options, man. Oh. <laughs> which, which which restaurant? <laughs> it is wide it is open. Not... What would it be? Yeah, am I in a city where my patients know uh, who I am? Let's say you're in San Antonio, Texas. Let's say Texas. Oh, so San Antonio, Texas. So there's probably ten fast food restaurants in every corner. So yes. you could pick and one no and Whole food stores, mind <laughs> you. There was an interesting study that looked at inflammatory markers. They did two things. I think they actually used McDonald's. And, and mm. so what they found is is that when normally when you eat, your inf- inflammation levels go up. That's just no matter right. what you eat, your inflammation levels go up. The more processed, the higher the inflammation levels go up. What they found is is that if someone ate this fast food versus fast food in a salad, <laughs> the fast food in a salad increased or, or increased their their inflammation less. But if they had the fast food without the salad, it went up more. So just find a fast food restaurant, maybe throw away the bun and have a nice salad with it. There you go. All right. That, yeah. that's, that, that's, that's some useful information for our patient population here. And probably don't get the milkshake or, yeah. or, or a soda. Well, the average BMI is about 35 and a half. Yeah. Maybe 36. <laughs> okay. Um, I, so I think... Your question threw me off, Stuart, but I think we were kind of rounding in. <laughs> that was on purpose. I think, uh, I, Paul, do you have any? Uh, do you have any more curveballs for the show? No, no, I'm, <laughs> my mind's a blank now. It's not called the curbsiders. Guy spear. That's all I'm saying. So why did you? I spoke about lectins and I spoke about science, and all you picked up from it is running around with a spear. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> we need to talk about lectins more. <laughs> well, when he said lectin, so the reason why I said I was familiar with it was because of ricin. Ricin is a lectin. It uh, is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, but I don't know why you know that. I mean, have you used it? Well, no, just because <laughs> of courses that I've had in biological warfare. That's it. Did they say that on uh <laughs> did they say that on Breaking Bad maybe? I don't know. It could have been. Okay. So, uh t- let's <laughs> let's <laughs> Let's get some take-home points God, before. The are off the bus. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we invite Stuart. But we got at some point you have to reel him in. <laughs> yeah, Stuart, uh, you're the one that asked me how I use homeopathy. Somebody asked, <laughs> like, "Hey, how are you? Tell me about homeopathy." Like, I don't know. Tell me about. <laughs> Tell, I'm we, not going to say anything because I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Stewart's an expert on uh, bleeding feet and uh, the use of leeches. That's yeah. right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tree fighting. Yeah. <laughs> and nicomycosis, maybe. All right. Uh, so, All right. So let's get some take-home points for, for yeah. the audience. I'd say back to three, right? 
Number one, there's a lot more to diet than macronutrients and even micronutrients. You have phytonutrients and you have quality, right? Mm-hmm. I'd say number two, food can be a powerful medicine if you know what you're doing and if you have a spear. <laughs> yes. Well, plus or minus the spear. <laughs> and I think that the big thing is, is that patients are willing to make changes if you expect them to, but you have to meet them where they're at. And that's, that's going to be, I think that's going to be the challenge. It sounds like you're very good at it. So uh, we'll just have to channel, channel uh, a little bit of that essence to what we're trying to get pe- people to do what we want or what, what we think is best for them. Yeah, I, I really, I, so when I first started, I had that mindset that nobody's going to do anything and it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes, you, you assume, you, you project that on them to the point where I actually would tell people, yeah, read this book, and they'd come back and they'd be successful. Mm. They did the diet, they're successful, and I'm like, they did it? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but when you expect them to make the changes, um, they, they do. They'll surprise you. I think um, at least I have to go because my, I need to I need to get Stuart out of my house so that uh, my wife <laughs> my wife can go to bed. This is true. I am in his house right now. <laughs> so that's you're the one running around with the uh, yeah with the spear. spear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you, you you definitely got to get him out of your. I house. have invaded his man cave. Uh, I'll I'll send I'll send you a picture of him running around the neighborhood uh, barefoot. Uh, so, all right, sir. Thank right. you. Thank you again so much. It's been really a lot of fun. Yeah, thank You're you. welcome, guys. Have a good night. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Uh, this has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. You can find show it's notes. appropriate. <laughs> You can find show notes along with links to any articles, books, websites, or apps mentioned on the show. Have we, at, have we even mentioned any books on our website? I mentioned the book Sapiens. Oh, okay. Is that even a medical book? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. It talks about wheat. Okay. Uh, we occasionally talk... Okay, fine. Not sometimes books. So articles, websites, or apps. Have we mentioned any apps? Uh, yeah, yeah. We have. Certain episodes, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you done? Uh, you can you can uh, find articles, books, websites, or apps. Hey, you know I bought an Omron medical uh, the uh, blood pressure cuff. Did I tell you about that one? <laughs> you did. It's it's. Uh, I'm sure it's awesome. It is. Uh, the, the show ran long, and now the uh, now the outro is running long. Uh, on the show at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, and don't forget to leave us a review. This will help others discover the show. You can contact us on our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Google+, or follow us on Twitter at The Curbsiders. And if you really want to talk to us, you can even send us an email to thecurbsiders at gmail.com. Or you can uh, Google Dr. Matthew Waters' Hot or Not profile. That's another way. <laughs> uh, until next time, I've been Matthew Watto. And I am still Stuart Kent Brigham. Hi, this is Paul Williams. Okay, guys, this has uh, been quite enough.